Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. <laughs> Good evening and welcome back to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Will Skelton may be Leinster's kryptonite, but clearly not publishing a molecast for six weeks has been Ulster's kryptonite because they've gone from great to shite <laughs> <laughs> since we last put out an episode at the very end of November. Were the signs there all along? And, uh, were, were, you know, is this something we could have seen if we'd only had the underlying numbers? Or why do you think Ulster have fallen apart so badly? Funny enough, you ask about the underlying numbers. I was on Ulster's website the other day, and they have the best match, the per-match stats of it any uh, team uh, in, the, in the league or any team around, really. So uh, the numbers are there for you to see. But what, like, we were... Uh, I, I don't think that, that the signs were there. I think that... Um, I think that Munster's... Or, or, sorry, Ulster started the season, you know, in, in good form and well, and even started the, the Leinster game particularly well. Like they look so good. I, I can't explain why it has gone so drastically and obviously wrong. Uh, and the inability to right the ship is not just due to the coaching staff because there is that is something that coaching staff can't do it on their own because, like, oh, Jesus, they, they're not out there playing. You know, there needs to be captaincy. <laughs> leadership from within the playing group and it's obviously not affected now that is um that's a worrying aspect for Ulster going forward because there's not a huge amount of potential leaders in that group if the if the current ones aren't doing their job um i don't know if anybody knows i don't know if Ulster know um the bits that strike me is Dwayne Peel left, but he's been gone a while. I don't know how much impact it is. Jared Payne left, and he left at the end of last season. And like, does it does it correspond with Jared Payne leaving? Are they um, have they lost a bit of focus or a bit of clarity or a bit of certainty about what they're trying to do? And like, ever since McFarland's come in, it's been it's been positive momentum. And it's been forward and it's been on the up. And this is the first time that it hasn't. And has that lack of clarity or loss of clarity, I suppose, um, affected confidence more than you'd anticipate? And then I think when you look at all the Irish provinces, I, I don't think this is really uh, solely Ulster's issue. I think with, with all the Irish provinces, when things go wrong for them it, it, it there tends to be some of the it tends to go wrong in the same way not not exclusively but what i mean by that is the coziness of um 
it's it's too easy for some of the squad and there's it's too cliquey it's it's too kind of like just having the tracksuit in the jersey is is good enough and I, I don't you know you see it more with Leinster when when Matt O'Connor was there it was and it, it kind of reflected in almost the the coaching ticket that they had and it's they just seem to veer towards it and what I mean by that is that there's a lot of guys in Ulster who are promising and very few who have promised or delivered. delivered. Yeah. Um, Stuart McCluskey has delivered. And it's still delivering. And it's still and McCluskey's delivering. not playing badly. But there, there's others, actually there's loads that aren't. And there's loads of guys who have made Ulster and who are on the cusp of big careers, but like they're still on the cusp. And they may always be on the cusp. Yeah. And then the careers may not have, they may have spent their whole time on the cusp. And... It's it's almost impossible to... It's all hindsight, but it, you do kind of look at it and you go, okay, well, when are these guys going to make the breakthrough and make it into rep rugby ahead of everybody else just because they're better than them, just because they're... And it's it's like you see it with the Leicester Tigers back in the Martin Johnson, Neil back, Austin Healy days. You see it with Leinster now. You see it with Munster at the end of 2008, 2009, that they, I don't know, they just have higher standards or they expect to win or they've been, they, I don't know, like they take more responsibility for it or they're they're more mature. Like I, I, it, I don't know exactly what it is, but you kind of, it's the good face. You, you, you know it when you see it. I was really struck by what you were saying about it being cosy. One of the things which... Um, which I sort of thought about with regards to a couple of players is like oh, this fella needs more of the armor and the shoulder he'll play his way back into form and then what happens when he doesn't play his way back into form like is it more armor in the shoulder Not, like some guys guys need to be dropped like it's happened it's happened to it's happened to like big players and it's generally it is a I mean, I'm thinking, for example, of Sexton. Sexton got dropped by Checo at one stage. Like, dropped, dropped. Uh, and wasn't playing at all when he was, like, 23, I think. And he was playing you know, with Maris. Yeah, playing yeah. with Maris. And, you know, he bounced back from it. And you have a guy, like... The, the fellow who's, who stands out to me is, is James Hume, who was playing like a fucking drain at the moment. Playing so badly that it's affecting the rest of the team. And you're going, Jesus, just drop him. Put Stuart Moore in at 13. Like, James Hume has done more than enough to be dropped, like... Oh, he's going to find his way back into form. Yeah, meanwhile, Ulster are playing shit and their backline are playing shit. You know, the ball gets to McCluskey who could do something with it. If it goes beyond him, there's a fuck up. So sometimes you just need to drop a player and go, you know, you've had enough, like, this is the pros. You've had enough arm around the shoulder now. Find your form, like, find your form. Not just going to keep on playing you while it's actively hurting the team. And then the other one from a coaching perspective is McFarlane's inability to find an alternative to... B. Burns. Billy Burns. At all. Like, and they, they signed Jake Flannery. So you're in a situation where Ben Healy has gone to Scotland because he must play international rugby. Jack Crowley... And he loves Scotland. Has over... <laughs> it's, always, it's always been my dream. Yeah, it's always been my dream. Um... He's and Jack Crowley's overtaken him. Joey Carberry was ahead of him and is still ahead of him in the, the national pecking order. And you know, 
and you ask yourself, well, why doesn't he go to another Irish provincial team and challenge for an Ireland spot there? But you go, that's already happened with Jake Flannery. Like, Jake Flannery was arguably ahead of Ben Healy two seasons ago, and Healy surpassed him, but, like, Flannery was, was in the mix. Flannery was starting matches for Munster two years ago, and he hasn't started anything worth a lick. Yeah, for, I think he's played in three games for, for Ulster. Ulster. And you're going, not only that, but, like, in, in recent seasons, both Michael Lowry and and Doak, is it Neil Doak? Was it right? Yeah. Neil Doak have started at Young 10. Young Doak. Young Doak have started at 10 for Ulster. And particularly the Doak one, you're going, ah, like, come on, what's what's going on? This is your plan. Like, it didn't work with Lowry. Lowry was awful at, at 10. Terrible. He looked 10. like a guy who could do it in a training run, but not a guy who could run, like, pro ball 10. Also, just and like play to his strengths. Larry played it, and you're sort of going, okay. Well, Larry was obviously a very good schools ten. So yeah, playing against schoolboys, playing against schoolboys. Can he do it in the pros? You're going. Well, the only way to find out is by committing to it for a season. Are you going to do that? You're going. Well, obviously not. You're just going to keep playing him at fifteen. So if if I have a criticism of McFarland, it's his inability to find an alternative ten to Billy Burns because it's. There's a bit of there's a bit of nobody's child with Billy Burns that because he's English playing in Ulster, it's it's easy to give him a kick and he's he's the sort of the convenient scapegoat. Yeah, but, but I think a lot there's of people also a bit of it that you go when Stuart McCluskey doesn't play beside Billy Burns, uh, Ulster just aren't as potent. McCluskey mm. gives them all their go forward, and yeah. the team feed off McCluskey. And if Burns is there, then it's it's just kind of Burns is there with no McCluskey then it's just obvious that uh, what's missing. But I, I, I think that, like, the, uh, Billy Burns got a kick, like, two years ago, and, and sort of it veered, didn't veer, <laughs> massively walked straight into unfairness. People don't dislike Billy Burns. Most of the time that uh, anybody reasonable criticises him, it's like, Billy Burns is doing his best and is, is not a bad player, but he's not given enough for what Ulster need him to do. And if you look at how he plays... It's a lot of just giving and taking passes. Now, we actually played with a bit more brio against Benetton, but he really fucking needed to. So the one thing which uh, I thought coming going into that game before he played is like, Ulster clearly need a 10 more than they need a loose head. Well, are they paying like Stephen Kitsoff? Are they going to pay Stephen Kitsoff like whatever, 660K? It was one figure I reckon. I don't think it's going to be that much, but it's going to be a load of money. Like, and still have essentially be one deep at number 10 and that one be a guy who is who's not going to get them over the line and and, and help them win a, a, a competition um like the big money it's obviously very difficult like there's very few out halves are few and far between uh really top level out halves but like that was that's where the money should have gone also just get to get back to ben healy this is uh something which i i looked up the other day when he was when it, it was announced like Ben Healy started a lot of games for Munster at the start of this season he actually including their pre-season friendly so the first two games under the coaching team which were against Gloucester and London Irish both in uh, Musgrave uh, he started six in a row so he started two friendlies and then four games in a row now as I said that was with the start of the new coaching team and as uh, there's been a good few articles, both in the Indo and the 42 that I've read today, where uh, Munster opened up their coaching, um, sorry, their training session to journalists. And 
Murray Kinsella, Rory O'Connor both came out and go, wow, they're, they're playing at, uh, you know, they're training at a really good lick. So that was a big change from the Van Gran era. And Healy started those six games right at the start of that change. So a lot of moving pieces to come up with. But like Munster also played like a drain in all those. They won, they won one out of six and it was against Zebra at home. And then they lost against the Dragons, Cardiff and uh, Connacht. We'll come back to Munster briefly er, in, in a brief moment, just to wrap up a little bit on Ulster. People have been selling this narrative that they're in like free fall since they were getting tonked. Like before that game against Sale was even finished. It was like they fell apart against Leinster and now they're losing heavily in this European game. And people have been like, they've been electing them as the current crisis club in Irish rugby. Coincidentally, as Munster started getting their shit together. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> the crisis mantle it, has been passed. Exactly. Uh, so <laughs> the goal is to not be that club, <laughs> as the tweet says. Do you, is there any sense then that Ulster essentially have just hit a speed bump and then it's kind of been exacerbated by and maybe their confidence has been affected by this story that's been told. It's like, oh, Munster, you know, because they lost this game to, to Leinster that they, you know, were in a good position to win, you know, that they just don't have this uh, this tiny bit of grit at the, at the at the crucial moment. And maybe that's affected them. But like, you know, they, they've, they've actually got loads of points on the board. They're in a really well set to be in the playoffs. This is probably the worst they're going to play all season. They're going to get better than this. They're actually not that badly positioned all over for the rest of the season. Yeah, but it's not uh, like it's not just the power of the narrative in this one. Like they had, I will say with with regards to the their game in sale, I've heard more information. I think other people probably heard it as well about how they actually got over there in drips and drabs, stayed in the airport half the night, then went home, then got on the next flight. Some of them flew to here, others flew to there. Some of them drove to the stadium. Like it seemed like a fucking shit show. And then with their game at home against La Rochelle, which was moved at a, a late hour or two, Lansdowne Road and wasn't open to anybody bar La Rochelle <laughs> shop owners. <laughs> like uh, that was a shit show as well. Um, also, it's La Rochelle. They're really good. La Rochelle yeah. would have munched them anyway. Yeah. And you know, when Ulster, it's always better to come back and score four tries in the second half than not to do it. But like La Rochelle had finished that game. That game was over at halftime. Over like an Irish quarterfinal. <laughs> I guess then against Munster in, in that specific match, uh, Ulster just kicked the ball away far too cheaply in, at the end. They scored a good try with Robert Balakoon. Um They were in control and you're gone they just they just have to see this out okay, and they just they just have to close the game out which is obviously a, oh, phrase, oh. a phrase that i hate because it's just so easily trotted out and it doesn't really mean anything but what certainly the behavior that you can pursue is doing what i can only describe as an aimless box kick that's like 10 to 15 meters too long that is like is in the middle of the pitch that you can't contest and you're thinking why did you need to kick that anyway like, would you not keep the ball for a few more phases? And, uh, like, why why make that kick? Why hand the ball back to Munster, who can only run at you? And then they didn't defend it well. Well, they didn't defend it well. Like, some of the missed so tackles the, yeah, there. Yeah, so, like, there's, 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 there's a few things that go in, but you're looking at, like, that the kick was awful. That aimless box kicking, though, that is something they were doing before. I can't remember. I can't put yeah. my finger on the, the game they did it. And it might even have been last season but they were definitely guilty of quite a bit of 
I mean, there was some game where they were up by 20 points and they ended up winning it by an arrow score. And like, I'm, I'm not imagining this game. It definitely happened. I couldn't okay. tell you which one it was. But th- I mean, that's what I, that's what I, to go back to the very first way I said the question was, were there signs there? They definitely were kicking the ball away aimlessly previously as well. Yeah, well, kicking the ball away badly, in my opinion, yeah. rather than aimlessly. And, and again, you're looking at, you're looking at uh, a halfback combination that is completely unbalanced. Like, like Cooney takes on so much kicking compared to Billy Burns. Like in that particular game, Billy just just gave and received passes. You know, I think he kicked three times over the course of the game, and I think he might have ran three times or maybe twice. You know, it's otherwise it's basically just giving passes to Stuart McCluskey or to to another option. And you're going like if you're if you're doing that, uh, and and Billy is like as a defender he's brave, but he gets banged away a lot. Uh, so like if you're just going to, ha- why don't you just pick like why don't you just pick another centre if you're going to play essentially with an out half who doesn't give you that much control, who mostly just acts as like a communist functionary uh, at ten. Why don't you play Stuart Moore at ten, who can pass, he can kick, and he can run. Like, just play with three centres because your number nine is doing both jobs. And it was Doak that kicked the ball away late against Ulster. And I would class as a nameless kick because I'm going, if you're kicking that far, like, what are you thinking? Or else it's yeah. terribly executed. Like, it, there was no pressure on Hayden. And you, maybe you can blame the chase, but you just... And you knew he was going to do it. And I, um, it must be dreadfully frustrating. And then, like, the thing from McFarland's... Uh, situation is you go like how long is he how long is he gonna last like how long is he just just not gonna get frustrated and just go do you know what I've taken this as far as I've gone I I don't know what to do here and because I think he's done a very good job um but and I think it's I think it's very different than than Van Grand like last year it was Van Grant's fifth season, and you're, or was it fourth or fifth season? Fifth season. Fifth, yeah. And you're going, like, like Munster aren't getting any better here. If getting anything, worse. If anything, they're getting worse. Yeah. And, like, Van Grant's fingerprints are all over this, whereas Ulster have got better each season yeah. under McFarland. This is the first time that it's, it's gone, uh, the momentum has gone against him, but it's gone so badly against him that you can just sort of see, you just imagine that he must be dreadfully frustrated and gone, like, I... The best thing I can do is leave, and I, I don't I like I, not that he'd quit and try to get out of it, but just that he'd he care too much about the club, or he just get too frustrated. He just gone look, the guys deserve better, and I can't fix because I just don't know why we're so bad. Because it's 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 an it's an incredible reversal, yeah, of of form where they just struggle to do. Uh, like a half of rugby that's good consistently. Now, the other thing I, <clears throat> I should point out is that if you look back in their schedule, um, most of their games, when they were winning them all at the start, are against teams who have now, you're looking at them, they're all, except for the game against Leinster in, in Ravenhill, which they lost, the games they were playing are against teams who are now in, in the bottom half of the of the league so they had an easier start to the season and just in terms of their scheduling mm-hmm. now when you're at the start of the season just like that doesn't automatically translate and now the teams are halfway down that like that means they were bad teams at the start but generally it's 
like the league is played over, like the sample size expands and expands and expands. So where you are at the end is a good reflection of the quality that you have. Do you know what I mean? So mm. you might be you might be better at the start of the season and worse at the end of the season, but overall it's 18 games, so it sort of evens out. If you're a good team, you're not going to finish in the bottom half of the <coughs> table. Um, so Munster had an easier schedule at the start, and you know their schedule recently has been has been difficult. Like Leinster, are a really good team. Sailor, a good team. La Rochelle, are a super team. Munster, they're catching. They caught them on the downside. Now they caught them on the upside, and that that game, like it's a point, a point each way in each game. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and now, now they're back into playing La Rochelle in um, uh, Del- Where, what's La Rochelle Stadium is now? Started on Ragara, I think. Oh, Le Ronan. Um and then sail at home. So say like I I don't think I don't think that their game in La Rochelle is winnable. Like that would be an enormous mega upset to win over there. But Sale at Ravenhill is a big game for them to win. Huge game. Because if they don't win that, they'll have had so many losses in such a short period of time that essentially like their season would be would be a wreck. A wreck by the end of January. Mm. Even if the La Rochelle game isn't winnable, though, it, it depends if they give it a rattle or not. Like if 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 they if they play good rugby and they don't win, it'll be a success because they've given it. Do you think so? Even if they get beaten, say if say if it's forty twenty, that's not good though. Yeah. No, nah, they need to be. It needs to be close. Like yeah. I mean, I, I give it to you that they can't win, but I mean they need to. They, they need to be competitive to the end, even if they don't win it. Like and they even were if they can't win it. a long time ago. Do you remember they went over to Claremont uh, when Claremont were very good and Nathan Hines was playing for Claremont, doing the octopus on mm, Rory Best mm. and a few other players. And like they didn't get the win, but like Jesus, they were close. A very good, gutsy performance. Now that's the sort of caliber. Like that's one of the, that's one of Ulster's best games in, in my memory. You know that they've ever played. Mm, tough times. For our northern cousins. He just bursts through the defence. Some of the fans not happy with that. Everybody's always rising and falling in uh, Irish provincial rugby. Who said that? Hot on. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you know any fucking Shakespeare? <laughs> As Ulster have hit the snakes, Munster have found the ladders uh, and they're opening up their training sessions to show everyone how buff they are. What's the big difference? Witness the fitness. Um, it's more than that. But again, one of the things that you would have noticed with uh, Van Granier and Munster, and increasingly, as it, as it went, it didn't get any better, was how jowly some of their players were. Um, recent, most recent man of the match, John Hodnett, a solid citizen, but was looking jowly, um, and now looks really sharp, and Niles... Uh, Nile Scannell in particular seemed to be caught, uh, carrying a good bit of conditioning about them and it was it was watching them in the match against Northampton in a mall and you go god like the the monster lads are trim like they've lost weight they look fit they're not carrying anything they don't need to be carrying and like it was it was obvious when Van Gran was there that they just weren't fit enough 
they played a slow game and they couldn't play a fast one. Whereas, like the two, I won't say they're easy because you have to put work into them. But from a coaching perspective, defense and fitness are no brainers when you're coming in as a new broom. Like you get those two right. It's the Richard Cockrell uh, approach to coaching. Like you know, you 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 mean defense. You get everyone fit, and you've got a six month, eight month bump. And you've given yourself credit for like two or three years after that. <laughs> That's a career, you know? Just keep on going in and doing that. Um, so Munster's attack has improved as well. Um, they keep the ball much better. Uh, they don't have much pace in the back three. So it's difficult for them to, to score tries. Because like your back three score at least half your tries. Not much more than 60%, but usually in and around 50. And if they don't, you sort of have to ask yourself why. And that's where guys who score tries play. It's like forward score goals. Like, you know, you don't have a centre-back that can score goals. Fucking waste of time. Like, just put him up front. He's called Veg Vukhurst or whoever, <laughs> you know. Um, Veg Veghorst. Veg Veghorst. Uh, your hooker scores tries as well. And your hooker, Yeah. Well, Munster's props used to be their go-to source. That's true. Like, Killer tries. used to chip in five tries a season. Yeah. I know a man who made a lot of money out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brenda Gass has done a good job. Rantry's done a good job. Um, Leamy's done a good job. Leamy's done a good job. They've And I think what Bradley Rantry doesn't get the credit he... I don't think he deserves. I, sorry, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves from doing what looks obvious in hindsight of picking guys in their best positions. Um, but he's actually picked Shane Daly at fullback, and Shane Daly has looked good. Calvin Nash has got a run of games where he's played well in one game, and then he's been picked for the following game. Mm. Um, he's managed to find a place for, Crow- for Crowley to play, even given that he's got three tens, he's actually managed to get two of them on the pitch at the same time. Um, they've lost Dialende, and their attack has got better. Um, even though they've got one guy who who barely got a you know a, a look in with Rory Scannell playing at twelve, or a guy who's not a twelve playing at twelve, and they're not playing an All Black <laughs> who has played at twelve at twelve, and they've still got better, and like he's he's dropped Vekatoa and when he's needed to do it, so all of this sort of stuff looks obvious because of course you know everybody would do it, but again like for five years. Uh, Van Gran couldn't pick his way out of a ferry. Like he couldn't pick his way out of a field of days. He's, he's absolutely useless at selection. Yeah, and you know, as as you say there, like dropping Fekatoa takes balls. Like he's one of the most expensive players on the books, but he wasn't performing. Uh, he made he made a couple of real howlers when he was playing. I was like, Jesus, like I have to drop this guy. You know, it's hurting the team. And then he went and did it. He's picking Paddy Patterson. He's playing great. Who's their third choice nine. And and what I mean by that is that you could easily just pick uh, Connor Murray and Craig Casey. Craig Casey and like you'd, you'd never get heat for not picking Paddy Patterson. But yeah. he has picked Paddy Patterson. You're going, well, this could go wrong because he's obviously, I was saying, obviously, like you would presume that he's way behind the other two guys. In fact, he's arguably Munster's best from half. Yeah. Um, he's like Connor. Connor is like, as I always preface it, Ireland's best ever scrum half, but like he's the third best scrum half in Munster at the moment. Like it's not 
Like if he was coming into rugby playing the way he is now, like there he would be nowhere near an Irish team. Nowhere near it. Now, you bank on Andy Farrell banks on this huge like the fact that he has been world class for the majority of his career, like world class, world class, like one of the best three scrum halves in the world for at least like five or six years. And if you're taking guys to the World Cup, both himself and uh, in a position of sort of less depth, Key and Heady, if you're going to, if you're only going to be playing guys for parts of games or in smaller games, like Jesus, you're so much better off having guys with 100 caps in your squad or 110 caps, 120 caps in your squad than bringing in a guy who is only going to play bit parts in games and is like a fringe member of the squad in any case. So I can understand why he's still in the mix uh, for Ireland, but like both Patterson and, and Casey are playing better than him. Like the difference when Casey came on against Leinster, for example, was really obvious. Like you would have had to have your eyes closed not to see it. And your, your fingers over your nose. Uh, the real weakness for Munster is their lineup. And... Uh, apparently, there, apparently there's stats to back this up, but the, this podcast is not about that. We're vibes, man. Uh, watching the match against Northampton, you're thinking to yourself, like, Munster could be further ahead in this if they could get their hands on the fucking ball out of touch. Yeah. And you, you look at, like, they've got Peter O'Mandy, who's, <clears throat> like, the best lineup player in Ireland. And... Taji Byrne. Taji Byrne. And uh, they've got... Jack O'Donoghue. Klein O'Donoghue. And Klein's a big lifter. Mm. And you sort of think to yourself, they've got to be able to, like, they shouldn't be panicking here to get the ball. Um, and it was really poor. Made life really difficult for themselves by, by just their ineptitude in the line-out. So they were linked with Malcolm Marks, and I was there going, he would be a great signing for Munster. In particular, like, he'd be a great signing for anybody, mm. but he'd be a great signing for Munster. Um, Dennis Leamy poured cold water on that today. Yeah, certainly did. But Very what about the... What about the you can't go spending all their money on like an extremely shiny South African toy when the last time, well, one of the last two times they did it, the toy was broken and then broken again immediately upon its comeback. Like, surely they need to invest in other positions like prop, winger. Yeah, but you can't, you see, the, the, the nature of Irish rugby is that you can't just go to the market for all these positions. Like, you have a limit on how many non-Irish qualified players you can field. Like, it's not clear exactly what that limit is. Like, some teams have more than others. Like, at the moment, Ulster have um, Tumunger, Allen, Sutherland, uh, Carter, and Vermeulen. So they have four, like, four in their forwards. Um, but, like... I, I, I have a query actually just 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 uh, just to open this topic up to conversation like what do you like Niall Scanlon uh, rumours are emerging that he might go to to uh, Bath uh, with Van Grant I see him get quite a lot of criticism and I think he's like I would I would see him as being part of Munster's future I wouldn't be in a rush to uh, to like not offer Niall Scanlon a contract wouldn't be in a rush to go to Bath if I was Niall Scanlon yeah, um, I, I thought Scannell would be better. Truth be told, I thought I think he was a very good captain for the under twenties, and I, and then he he played for Ireland when Rory Best he started for Ireland against mm. Italy in a match where Best uh, for some reason couldn't make it. But I look at his like I commented on his fitness. 
uh, under Van Gran and then their their line out problems and uh, like comparing him to his brother, like Rory is a guy who's always kind of played as like pretty close to what you envisage his ceiling is going to be mm-hmm. for Munster. Like he's he's a he's a good kicker, he's a good distributor. He doesn't have pace, and he never had pace. And you sort of go, well, that is that going to be a problem in the pro game? But like, he always plays well. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's just a beauties in the eye of the beholder thing because like he's he's not Stuart McCluskey, he's not Robbie Henshaw. Um, and not Aki and like he's and playing he's, in a position where like there's three players and each of their provinces are way better than him but again I think both Scandal brothers are good like I think he's a good rugby player yeah so so I'm not, I'm not a soul in Nile like I, I think um, I think Munster should try to sign Facundo Bosch who's oh yeah the second choice in La Rochelle but who's the Argentina Argentinian like he's not Argentina's first choice hooker, but like he's played for Is Argentina. He still with La Rochelle. He's still with La Rochelle. I just looked it up there because I was got. Yeah. I don't know where he can be playing anywhere. He's in fucking Asia. deadly. Um, and look, maybe he doesn't want to leave La Rochelle. Yeah. but he, he would start for Munster, and he's he's thirty one. He, so he's really sort of good. Go, like, why wouldn't you just play two years starting for a team rather than being behind Bougarit? Because you're not you're not going to surpass Bougarit. Bougarit's really good. As you're well. on, you're on the way down. Yeah, Bougarit's like home. Well, he's not homegrown, but he's like he's French. And he's a hero in that yeah. shell. So you're not going to overtake him. What do you think of him now? Um, I wonder how close to the end of the season these uh, end of the season these decisions get made because um, a bit of jeopardy could be, you know, a lot of them are getting it, made now. You see, it's yeah. the thing. It's the December and January is is when a lot of decisions are made. Monster actually released their contracts in in tranches. The news of their contracts in tranches like they're they're more. They'll release things like, oh, four or five more of our players have re-signed mm. uh, compared to Leinster, who just basically wait until, like, some slow news day in May and go, oh, we've re-signed all our players, <laughs> you know? Apart from the eight who have gone to Connacht or something. I Yeah, I just think... Um, is that, you know, a bit of jeopardy to drive him to push himself a little bit further is are they able to play that card in terms of like oh there's not really much on the table here I presume he has other offers from other professional clubs yeah it sounds like Bath have an offer then, for him um, I don't doubt that he's a good player he went on the tour to New Zealand and I felt he he came out on the tour as a, as a like you know he did his part in the yeah. Mary game and you're like you're on like sort of from nowhere this guy's back in the international scene just because there's a gap with Kelleher being out and I think um, but just to echo back to the conversation about Ulster, that's kind of like there's lads who promise and then has he delivered and then you're kind of going, does he just need a bit of a push? Has he got an international future? Not really. Yeah, good, good thing. And maybe he, maybe like, he might be able to get, get like a better paying job in England or France. Yeah. And like he's not going to give up an international career that probably isn't there. Sorry, while we're doing this, like quite because I keep on going back and talking about other teams. One player who is standing up for Ulster is Tom Stewart, who's a great little hooker. He's a super player. He's standing up to be counted. And I think he is... Now, again, going back to what I was saying about Keane Healy and uh, and Conor Murray, like, Herring scored a fucking amazing try against New Zealand. Yeah, and is like... If, if he's your third-choice hooker, like, he's a hell of a third-choice hooker. But Tom Stewart is like, he could just come up behind and nip him because he's actually playing amazing. He's playing better than Herring at the moment. But if you're only going to be that big part fringe player, are you better off having a guy who's been in the squad and around the squad for, you know, 30, 40 caps 
Yeah. And it, and it's just like, instead of going, oh, we can take a punt on this hooker who's like still our third best, you know. There's not much space for bolters here. Very, there's, yeah. No, there's, there's very the little only, space for Hooker's probably the only position that there is because he's definitely third choice. Your first two, like presuming that Keller and Sheen are fit, mm-hmm. it's just a duke for first choice. Unless Sheen is first choice at the moment. But Keller is Keller is class. Yeah, Keller's a super player. Like. So Ireland go with a very definite one and two and then a third who's definitely three. Yeah. And it could be could be Stuart. Mm. Or Herring, like it's a position of real strength for us. Yeah. Same with same with twelve. Twelve and two are our strongest positions at the moment. Someone needs to stop him. Referee blows for half time. Uh, Leinster, isn't it more fun when they almost lose <laughs> but yeah. don't lose? I really enjoyed the game against the Ospreys. I kept. I Jack Conan had done his uh, pre-match press conference where he sort of blanded out a few cliches about how we'll have to be at our best to beat them, and I was like, "No, you won't. Just to turn up." And then uh, Leinster did have to really grind it out. They had to play against a bunch of lions, a uh, bunch of like. Welsh international legends and uh, Ian Evans's son who kicks who kicks the fe- shit out of the ball yeah <laughs> that fella kicks the ball so well one of the best kickers of a rugby ball I just oh, yeah lovely I love he's just a striker of the ball it's beautiful hits the ball it comes off the bat <laughs> well he hits the ball Did you see like his pen out from like 45 minutes straight in front of the sticks but it went over about three or four metres below the top of the post like he could have got it from 15 metres further back it was like that O'Shea free kick for Donegal in the yeah. semi-final okay so to go back Leinster um, I was saying oh this could be a bit of a after 20 minutes I was thinking this could be a bit of a sticky wicket here and uh, my um, uh, pal who had made so much money betting on um Mushy Buckley and uh, Killer. Killer to score all those tries for Munster throughout the years. Uh, was telling me like, ah no, Leinster's bench, they're much fitter, they'll win it. Yeah. And then um, that's how it turned out. But it was still thrilling to see it turn out exactly the way someone predicted it. Yeah. It was a great game. Uh, I felt like the Ospreys attacked Leinster in the way that a little bit like La Rochelle did and they jackaled absolutely everything and they had yeah. experts doing it and had a big scrum and uh, and had a big scrum and it, and it really really ruffled our feathers yeah great tackling really good jackling big scrum it goes a hell of a long way um, the other thing about the Ospreys is when you saw when the, the camera went up to their lads in sick bay like Jesus they have a, they have a really good squad it's amazing that they're in the bottom half of the table they were missing George North Stephen Moyler Dan Lydiot Alex Cuthbert Adam Beard uh, Reese Webb so it's like four oh and Gareth Anscombe so like four lines and two Grand Slam and Owen Watkin as well so four lines and two Grand Slam and win uh, Welsh Internationals like the, uh, the Ospreys should be the best Welsh team by quite a distance uh, and they've had I was saying to you earlier they've had three games two draws and one loss by a point so they're in the position where if they had scored four more points over three games, which you can't actually do, you can't score like that few points per game, but they'd have, you know, they'd have they'd have three more wins on their CV. Uh, their scrum absolutely annihilated Leinster's scrum. And some of that goes down to quite a, a lightweight um, second row partnership with, with Brian Deeney and Ross Molly. Brian Deeney scrummaging behind the tight head. But also just the Osprey scrum is destructive. And that is without Adam Beard in the second row. 
So if you put Beard in beside Alan Wynne Jones and in front of him you have Dewey Lake, Nicky Smith and Thomas Francis, like that is a that's a that's a very good like that's an international pack, an international front five. I, I can never remember the name of the Jones who's their scrum coach. Is it Adam or Duncan Jones? Is Duncan is the blonde one. So Duncan's Adam Adam is with Harlequins. So it's Duncan is yeah. the, he's an excellent scrum coach. Yeah. Like Leinster should sign him when they're Osprey's always fucking the scrum McBride because Osprey's had the best scrum and the the best scrum of the non-South African teams yeah. in the Pro 14. Yeah, the Lions have a good scrum. Um, <laughs> nothing else, but they have a good scrum. Good scrum. Um, yeah, he's a really good scrum. Mm. Really, really good. They really enjoy scrums and they're destructive. Now, they have personnel as well. It's not like that. He's just like, getting a bunch of like 15 stone lads from uh, mumbles and yeah. <laughs> cross guns and shit like that, you know? But they scrummage so destructively. And, you know, you have that... You get into that position in games the position of Leinster where you're going if we fucking knock the ball on we're going to give away a penalty mm. you know you can remember games like that I can remember games like that quite vividly obviously the 2012 you know England-Ireland game where you're going like as soon as we get a scrum we're giving away a penalty and it's so dispiriting and even if they knock the ball on you're giving away a penalty mm-hmm. uh, And but like you were saying the jeopardy of coming into the game and being down twice 10 points down and then 16 10 down you're going like this is this is tight like if they get another score here in these weather conditions 19 10 is looking like a fucking hill to climb and then what happened ross Ross break glass call for ross so we just go back to our ben healy trope of this and try to wind him into the narrative of every single team and just say that when ben healy was breaking through or uh, arriving at prominence with Munster that we said, geez, he's kind of like tall Ross. Um, but that the international cap. So maybe mm-hmm. Ben Healy will go on to be Ross Byrne. So uh, we, we were talking about the the jeopardy of losing a player. So, oh, we shouldn't be letting him go. Then, you know, before you thought he was going to Scotland, it would have been quite blasé about it and just go, ah, yeah, he's Munster's third choice. And now oh, no, 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 we should find a way to, to keep him. Jowly said you're making great. But you go, but he, he, like he's not as good as Ross Byrne. So ask yourself the question, if Ross Byrne were leaving, like how badly would Irish rugby fans feel about it? Because he's never been a big fan of the Irish supporting rugby fan. Even though like, you know, Leinster fans might like him. And I don't think anybody mm-hmm. criticised him. But just like at, at the Irish level, you go, nah, Ross Byrne, nah, nah. Um, like he wasn't chosen for the, for the tour to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So you know, the generic Irish rugby fan isn't alone. Like the generic Irish rugby coach who's more important, he sort of thinks yeah. the same thing. But he he just, he just keeps on bouncing back. Yeah. Keeps on getting it done. That's the thing. He just keeps on getting it done. Like the two passes for Hugo, Hugo Keenan's try is a really lovely looking try. The two passes, uh, Ross's and, uh, and then Jamie Osborne's pass were like, because the handling conditions were poor. Like there was a lot of knock-ons in the game. Those two passes were so sweetly timed, put directly into exactly the right spot at late, you know, late before contact. And then Keenan's run to identify Scott Baldwin, the uh, line mangled sub hooker. Like it, it's a classic try, getting getting the back in space, running around a forward. It was a, it was a wonderful try. And then the second, the Jimmy O'Brien try was a super try as well. 
Now, Jimmy actually did an awful lot in that. But again, Osborne teed him up very nicely. Osborne said, uh, Osborne's a good player. So I guess that's then... A, no, that's a real shocker. <laughs> when you're looking at the amount of guys that the Ospreys are missing, you'd go, well, Leinster were missing even more, which probably brings us quite neatly. But to make the comparison then with Ulster is that Leinster seemed to be full of confidence, but also seemed to have that grit that even the guys on the squad who should be cosy, like, or shouldn't be cosy, like, shouldn't, like, you know, they know that they're not going to become the first choice guys, or maybe aspiring to become the first choice guys. Um, that Leinster are just very competitive looking this season. Mm. And, you know, Leinster have been good for a number of seasons. Like, they didn't win anything last year and won the league four seasons beforehand. So, you know, like, that's a good record. But, the win over in Larve against uh, Rassing was superb. Like it was all biz. It was it was really really competitive rugby. Uh, the win against Ulster was a great win. And the win against Ulster when they turned it around and just like um, it's like it's like watching Leighton Hewitt play Tim Hemman. Like that that's the kind of it's it, it's a bit of an odd analogy given that that's so long ago. But like you're looking at it with a home crowd, and it was it was in the RDS. But like. All the guys Stretching in Wimbledon. Stretching this analogy. <laughs> you, just, you just knew that whatever happened, Hewitt was going to win this. Like, it didn't matter how much the crowd got into it. It didn't matter how much, how well Hemman was, was winning. You go, oh, Hewitt's like, you know, he's got a calf injury. You go, oh, <laughs> double down on Hewitt. Yeah. He is only certainly going to win this. Um, So, like, the, it's, and that inevitability, that, that sense of inevitability uh, is very powerful. Like, and it's just it's confidence. Um, but you know, you're looking in the stands, kind of going, "Geez, are all like the Leinster's Irish players looking it over at all Osprey's Welsh players who aren't playing and going, these guys are going to be a bit better than we're given credit for a mm. few weeks ago before a certain Waza Waza Gatland oh, is God, back yeah, in town, sorry. huh? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the Six Nations is approaching. <laughs> And the uh, my, my uh, topic is Ireland in the Six Nations. Could it be shit? <laughs> <laughs> Answer is yeah. Well, I think there was a moment where I I envisaged Six Nations. It turned out like Johnny Sexton was injured for the first game, and um, you know we were lining up away to Wales with Gatland, obviously gunning for the scalp of Ireland, who he still hates for because he got fired by us, frankly. Um, Fucking last century, twenty years ago, <laughs> <laughs> during the amateur era, <laughs> um, and then thinking, oh geez, well you know you lose that, and then you lose France, and then you lose to France just because they're really good, even though it's at home, and you can play well and lose to them. Um, you know they haven't been beaten in a long time, and then you'd be thinking, Jesus, this has all gone to tits, and you know England have a new coach as well, so that so that I, what I guess is like two of the teams who would have been like those two teams are drifting and they're pretty crap and we'll definitely beat them to being like, they've got, you know, they've been given a shot in the arm by new coaching tickets. And, um, yeah, I would am prefer, I just, am I just being alarmist? What's got, what, what, no, I know? would prefer if, if Gatland hadn't been, like, I know he was saying, maybe, maybe sort of, Going, oh, Gatlin could really uh, sully his reputation and tear down the monument. Now I'm going, oh, fuck, we have to play Gatlin again. Uh, but he does have, you see, he, he has a job of work to do like, uh, to, to get the team 
back firing now the, the one thing and he doesn't have Sean Edwards like the one thing I always remember about playing Wales and Wales is like fucking 10 million tackles that they made you know they always tackled the shit out of us um, so he doesn't have that he doesn't have his defensive coach with him he, he's a huge loss because like Sean Edwards like he's everywhere he, he's gone he's done the job like the job has been successfully done so he is like he is as good as his um his fans and proponents say he is. Uh, so Gatlin is, is short him. So that's a big loss. Also just doesn't have a lot of time to work with the players. But yeah, you know, I prefer not to be playing up here. And like, I think Pivac is, you know, obviously an international quality coach, but I would prefer to be playing a Welsh team under Pivac still on going, can we find our mojo rather than Gatlin coming in and giving everyone mojo, loads of mojo, handing it out like. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'd be, I think it'd be great. Like, um, when you when you see Wales lose to Georgia and you think, oh God, like is, is Welsh rugby going to disappear? Or, like, they're going to have an absolute shambles of a Six Nations where the Italians beat them, the Scots beat them, and it's like it's a wooden spoon or maybe even a whitewash for Wales to go and. Oh, Gatlin's back. It could be a grand slam for the boys. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, oh, where on earth did this come from? Like, I mean, how did uh, this, like, where did this belief come back? But you see Alan Jones and Tipperick playing for Wales and you go, shit, like, they are gearing up for it. Like, they do, they do have players. They won't get the chance to have gone, they won't go to Spala. Um, they won't be as well conditioned as a typical Gatlin team. They won't have Edwards. They will have a lot of confidence. They are playing home. It's a bank holiday weekend over here. Mm. Um, and Ireland are good, but uh, you know I think that's the that's kind of the thing that we can forget. Like that Ireland are Ireland are good. Um, so the All Blacks. Is it just my World Cup uh, year mindset? We're saying, how can we? How can this go wrong? Is what I'm thinking. Rather, uh, rather than being like, this is a great opportunity to beat a good Welsh side, and and like, well they're not a good Welsh side. Or it's 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 a great opportunity to be a Gatland. Side yeah, it's a great in, opportunity to beat Gatland in Cardiff. Like. And it's it's a tougher job now than it was when Pivac was coaching, simply because of because Gatland's Gatland with all the same personnel. Um, but it's you know like the, like the Six Nations is brilliant. Yeah, thank and God for yet Six again Nations. we're rolling around. We we first started doing this before Six Nations in twenty five years ago. Five years ago was it? Yeah. So nearly had a nearly had a five year anniversary. Here we yes. Um, I'll have to get an extra big bag of crisps. <laughs> and eat them on the mic. <laughs> Job done. Um, oh, like it's, it's much more appealing. Yeah. To be quite honest. Um, I'm looking forward to playing France in, uh, in Dublin. Yeah. Um, like the last time we played France in Dublin, like we, if you look back on the team, it's a f- sort of funny team. Billy Burns started... Uh, CJ was at eight. Reese was, was at six. Yeah, nobody was there. Um, that was a Sunday game as well. Is my memory? Yeah. They were all fucking Sundays during COVID. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to the, the first two games. Really, like, and, it, and you know, it has the sort of great, uh, sort of like it's all, like playing Wales first is great. I think, like, I'd like to play the Wales first in any in any Six Nations. And then, like, the last game is against England. 
on the day after Paddy's Day. Yeah. So for Ireland, like it's got a classic Six Nations momentum uh, set up about it. That it, as you said, it, it could be Six Nations. What, you, what what's your tagline? Is is it? Could Ireland? it be shit? Could it be shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that that's that's the jeopardy. Um, or could it be underwhelming? Like if you lose to Wales and beat France, you can't win the Triple Crown. Is beating France is it, like have you sort of wasted your Grand Slam shot by losing to bloody Gatlin? <laughs> Poxy Irish, you know. I don't know if that was Eddie Jones's line, but scammy, who, the who scammy sh- Irish. Who should it be but Ireland? You're going, well, you played them every year, Warren. <laughs> who else do you think? You know, um, or it could be that you win away, you knock over France because uh, Dupont isn't in particularly good form. You're playing them at home. Um, you know, it's the spring is in the air. Certainly, mm. like you know, the, it's beginning to sort of dafts are beginning to poke their little heads up, and everybody just starts getting absolutely antsy for like a grand slam shot at England on Paddy's weekend. Now, yeah. the other thing about the Six Nations is that, given the inauguration inception of a St Bridget's Day bank holiday, because I think it was on the first of February last year. I think they just sort of no, no, we, we got the holiday in Patrick's Day. They, they didn't want to give they people doubled it. Down. Yeah, they yeah, didn't they want to give people a holiday in February during the lockdown. Yeah, yeah, because like, what can you do? Yeah. So they gave us two days of Paddy's Day. You're right. Yeah. I've forgotten that. Is that it's the first one? I got COVID on Paddy's Day <laughs> during a Six Nations, and you're there going, well, like they always have to have a Sunday fixture at some stage, and Sunday fixtures are shit except if it's on a bank holiday weekend. And you're going, like, they should just jimmy it so Ireland are always playing first at home and just offer to play on a Sunday and go, that's a bank holiday tomorrow. Yeah, we've the day off tomorrow. We've the day off. It doesn't actually matter. And I don't think the away fans would care. They'd be going, deadly, we go to Dublin and we'll have a Saturday night there. We might even have a Friday night there. And we might even stay around on yeah. Monday and just fly home late. Um, so it's... It's always it's always a maybe the other the other countries should also adopt St. Bridget's Day. <laughs> yeah. Just every Monday after a bank holiday after a success weekend should be a day off. <laughs> Families are always rising or falling in America, am I right? Who said that? Hawthorne. What's the matter, smart ass? You don't know any fucking Shakespeare? <laughs>